Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Nico 1988 features a tour de force performance by Trina Driholm uh, as this aging Nico, also known as Krista Pavgen, interpreting rather than impersonating the famed singer as she approaches 50, leading a solitary existence in Manchester. Nico's life and career are on the ropes, a far cry from her glamorous days as a Warhol superstar and a celebrated vocalist for the Velvet Underground. And from there, with this sort of the, the film takes off into she has a new manager and she's beginning to hit the road. Obviously, from the title Nico '88, that's the period of time we're talking about. And by the way, uh, Susanna, we are actually speaking on the anniversary of her passing, which I found to be yeah. very interesting, and I, I really appreciate. You. Well, let me first introduce the director of Nico '88, and that would be Susanna Nicarelli the uh, director yeah. and writer of the film, and uh, thank you so much for being on Film School. Thank you for calling me. Uh, you're very welcome. This is just an extraordinary film on so many different levels. Uh, the acting is superb. The story itself, where you pick up in her life and as we watch her in those last few years, just a, a, a really interesting approach, and it says so much about her as a person but also about her life. Um, if for those who are not old enough to know much about Nico, let's start there. How I, I mentioned in the introduction her her affiliation with uh, the Velvet Underground, which is where a lot of people know her from in Warhol. What was your sort of introduction to Nico, and walk us through how she became the the subject of this film? Well, I, I obviously met Nico through the Velvet Underground. I mean, the 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 album Velvet Underground and Nico, the one with the banana on the cover. Yeah is history of rock, is history of humanity. <laughs> so it's a very important album, and, and at some point when I was in my 20s, I, maybe earlier, I started listening to it. Of course, it was the end of the 90s, so it was um, much later than when it actually had happened. But um, it's interesting because, I mean, the, the generations that came after um, the, the Velvet Underground uh, phenomenon um, lived it as if it was um, going on at that moment. We never felt it, I think, as, as, as something that was old or past. Um, it was so important artistically, the whole experience of, the, of that band. And uh, Nico was part of it, and it was interesting. I was, of course, interested by the fact that she was a woman and she was part of that. And I looked into her life and what happened uh, before and afterwards. And what I found, I found interesting everything that happened to her because of the generation she belonged to. I mean, she, she was German, so she was born in Nazi Germany. And um, her first memories are Berlin being bombed at the end of the Second World War. She lived in a, grew up in a defeated country. Um, she felt hunger as a child and in the ruins of uh, Berlin. And uh, at some point, she started modeling, and she came to the United States, and then she had that experience with the Velvet Underground. And it, it's extremely interesting how the history of, of Europe, of the Cold War, um, crossed, uh, shaped the life of this woman who died, actually, in 1988, so exactly one year before 
the fall of the Berlin Wall, so she had no time to see the end of it. She never saw the end of of the Cold War, so she actually never saw the end of the Second World War either, <laughs> somehow. And um, <clears throat> and um, well, what I found interesting was the fact that uh, after having had the Velvet Underground experience, she started a solo career, which was extremely interesting artistically, Usually, when we, we, we are led to think uh, that very beautiful women somehow disappear when they're in their 30s, and then it's not interesting what they do after that anymore, while uh, she did the most interesting things after, when she was in her 30s and 40s, not because uh, her music was more interesting than the music she, she sang with the Velvet Underground, but because it was her own stuff. And, and and she did um, uh, make very experimental music, which was very daring and changed a lot the music that came after her. Uh, she was a very interesting artist, a very brave artist. She never tried to do commercial things, but she was always for the research and the art, which is interesting, having been so famous and so beautiful. She was not nostalgic at all about her youth and her success, but she was she had her own project. Then, of course, she had a lot of problems with, with drugs and with some. Um, she had had a child in the 60s, and she wasn't able to, to raise him because of the life she led. Yeah. And um, what I found interesting, and that's why I made the film about the last years of her life, is that um, when she was uh, in, in her, um, after 45, she started making sense of her life, and she... She she quit the drugs and she recreated a relationship with her with her her son. Mm -hmm. She found her way also artistically in a more organized way because she she got a manager and she started touring. And I found that the most interesting part of her life was the last years, which is uh, uh, ironically it's sad, but at the same time um, very interesting and very not cliche, because we're used to seeing biopics where the best part is always when the, yeah. the main character is in the 20s, and then it all goes down from there. And in this case, the best part is at the end, which I find interesting also about how complex a human being's life is, really, instead of as it usually is depicted in the movies. The the film we're speaking of, I mean, Nico 1988, is mm -hmm. it, we, we see her... At the very beginning of the film, part of the sort of telling of her story, we see how she's being constantly asked about the Velvet Underground, constantly asked about her time there, mm -hmm. and what you know, people are coming up to her for that reason. And it's on one level, it's understandable, but she was—I don't know if disdainful is the right word—but it feels appropriate for her reaction to people who keep trying to push her back into into that time frame. And it's obvious from the very beginning of the film that she is trying to forge a new artistic vision for her life. Yeah, well, what I, what I really liked, I mean, what, what made me fall in love with Nico was the irony and then and the humor, the, the sense of humor with which usually, usually she would answer all those journalists that, that, that treated her as a survivor of her generation. I mean, a lot of people had died of her generation. Right. Uh, at the beginning of the 70s and during the 70s. And in the 80s, she was a survivor. And they would ask her, most people, because they were ignorant and they didn't know about her musical career, uh, would ask her about the 60s. And always, sometimes journalists would say, that must have been the best period of your life. 
you know, things like that, which are also, I think, offensive. Uh, to tell somebody, well, the best period of your life was 20 years ago. Like, what are you doing here now? And she was, um, she was always very funny and intelligent. She had a very intelligent way of putting, of putting these uh, journalists away somehow and saying, hey, I'm here. Yeah. This is my life, and this is what I'm doing. There was something that she would say which was actually very true, that when she sang with the Velvet Underground, uh, she hadn't written those songs. I mean, those songs were written by others, and she was there, uh, and she had been put in the band by Andy Warhol, also especially for her image, for her, you know, yes. beauty and... He, he referred to as... Actually a, sh- a bewitching yes. beauty, but, yeah. he re- but of course, and she, she would say, well, what I am... Uh, uh, is something else. I mean, the, the, it's, it's as if what I found also very interesting and ironic is the fact that she would say all the time that when she was beautiful, she was not in control of her life, that she became in control of her life once she set the beauty aside, once she started, you know, wearing uh, baggy black clothes and, and dyeing her hair dark. And once she had lost the image of the, of the beauty queen, and she had become what she really was, then she was much more in control of her life. And that is very interesting because it's somehow as if your, your, your image, your being an icon, had, can, can, can control your life and, and, and you, you're not actually deciding what you're doing anymore and you're not yourself. So the point is, uh, it's as if Nico finds herself in, in, in her 40s, which is, Extremely interesting. I think it's pretty normal. I think it happens to a lot of women and a lot of men. Yes. That you find yourself at the end of your 30s and beginning of your 40s. And, I mean, that's when you reach maturity and you understand a lot of things. But it is not at all the cliche that we're used to see. It's as if we're used to that that age. uh, We're used to see it as a moment of decline, which is not at all true. We see her in as a full character in the film in Nico 1988. We see her in points where she's abrupt and rude and and difficult. We see her as she becomes clearer about her moving forward with her career, as you described earlier. We see her coming out of that in a way that feels like her better days were are ahead of her. And mm-hmm. uh, and and a lot of this, and I, because I do want to touch on the performance turned in by Trina uh, Dreholm, who does a fantastic job of embodying all of these things in a way that make us always empathetic. I, I always felt like I I wanted her to succeed, and some of it has to do with just knowing, kind of knowing the broad outlines of her story, knowing where she was, and and knowing that I didn't know about this second and third act of her life. So this film is illuminating for someone who appreciates her art, which I think, uh, just to take a little bit of a side uh, note here, I think her music, and the music of the Velvet Underground, and in particular her music or her performances, seem timeless. I think you could put the music <laughs> on anywhere, anytime in sort of the spectrum of, of what we know as popular music or rock and roll or anything, and it would feel completely relevant to that moment. So there's that part of it. I didn't want to get too far off on that, but this performance by Trina Dreholm is is remarkable. Tell me a little bit about, unless you want to comment on what I was just saying, but how you brought her into this process, and she is just phenomenal in this role. Well, the, I, I really loved her as an actress. I think she's one of the best European actresses we have 
of her generation. I mean, she's great. I've, I've seen her in in uh, Vinterberg's movies, yes. um, The Commune, uh, and Feston. And I had seen her in Susan Beer's movies. One of them won um, oh, Oscar. Won, won the Oscar. Right. I mean, she was in a movie that won the Oscar. So yeah. she is. She's a, a, an awesome actress, a great actress. And what I liked about her is also the kind of woman she is. Because I, I saw her. It happened to me to see her at festivals on the red carpet, and then to see her in movies and and find her unrecognizable. I mean, she would. She, would, she, she is ready to, she's very generous, ready to change herself physically and to, even to worsen herself. I mean, she's, she's a beautiful woman, but in, in, in certain moments, in Nico, she, she, she's horrible. I mean, yeah. like Nico could be sometimes. Nico yeah. could be horrible and, she, and could be extremely beautiful at that age. She was actually able to pick that up and pick up all the energy. I needed that kind of energy, and Trina had that. I think she had that energy as a person. Once uh, Nico's son, Addy, he told me, I would have never thought that my mother would have died before me. He said, I was sure I, w I would die before her because she was indestructible. Yeah. And I knew that I had to find that kind of energy, the, the, somebody that could look indestructible. And I also needed that because it was a very difficult film. To make. I mean, it's difficult because it's a difficult character, yeah. and it's a, a character with, with whom it would have been difficult to relate to. I was very scared that the audience wouldn't relate to Nico, and what I think works in the film at this point, after having all these positive reactions, is that you, you connect with her slowly as the film goes yes. on, yes. which is something that is great, because you need time to connect with a character like that. You can't uh, and I did that also in, in, in the way I directed the film and uh, the way I used the camera. I didn't, I didn't try to throw the audience in, and I didn't expect identification right away. I, I wanted it to build up during the film, and Trina helped me a lot with that because she was distant, ironic, and, and she slowly drags, the, her performance slowly drags the audience in. With the same kind of attention. Right. And I would say that it works on two different levels. It works as her, as Nico, the artist, watching and hoping that she'll get off the mat, essentially mm -hmm. pull herself through this. And then the other part of it is, as a person, as as, a, as you're talking about, a, a woman in the in her 40s coming out into her own, and just as a on a personal level, I felt like that was a very important part of the way that she portrayed Nico was that that part was just rooting for her as a person to get the things that she wanted out of her life. And it's it's a fantastic – it's just a really wonderful film. For people who uh, want to know more about Nico or barely know anything about her, there are glimpses. There are little bits and pieces of footage from from the 60s and from the Velvet Underground era and that kind yeah. of stuff, little flashes. But well, well I, I'd, I'd like to imagine – I'd like to think that it's for – Everybody. I mean, yeah. I certainly did not make the movie for for the fans. Right. Also, because in in many ways, I did not respect the original story. In order to make it more universal, somehow, I, for example, Trina doesn't look like Nico, and and that's something I decided uh, when I started working at the film that I wouldn't be looking for any kind of imitation or that I wouldn't. I have chosen a, a lookalike as as a main actress, but I would have chosen 
a good actress. I mean, that was my... Because usually uh, the problem with biopics is usually they're made for fans and they're... And they're just um, an imitation of the of the of the of the life of the real life of the person, and and they become very boring, and and then they don't have anything universal in it. Which, right. well, I think that in Nico's story, there were a lot of elements that were universal that could speak to to everybody yeah. and to different generations. So the best way was to take some distance from the real Nico, and then of course I put her back in because she's inside the film with. With the archive material, the songs are hers. But for example, uh, Trina, she, Trina, when she was a singer when she was very young, all the songs that are in the movie, Trina has re-sung them and we have rearranged them. They're covers, actually. And I did that also because every live performance is, I needed it to be a live performance. I needed it to be an acting piece. I mean, where, where, the, where the actress could act. Because every life performance is a moment in which something happens to the character, and also by 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 making her re-sing and and by rearranging uh, Nico's music, I I took a, a step away from Nico in order to to re- reinvent her story. I think and 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 then to reach more people because it would have been it would have been horribly fake to have the actress move her mouth and, and Nico's voice oh, from, yeah. right. <laughs> from, from the 60s come out of her mouth. It would have been exactly the operation that, that the film is against. I mean, a nostalgic thing or something like that. While I needed Trina to be Nico to impersonate her and to sing her song. And I could not agree more. And the film does achieve that exactly. That part and the what you're describing is in essence what this film is about. I, just that opening scene with her and her and her mother standing there watching the bombing occur. Uh, you know, and then her at the near the end of the film when she describes what that experience was like is just heart wrenching. And it is universal. It is about a character who was seeking. Peace, seeking artistry, pardon me, seeking all kinds of different things, and um, it captures all of that beautifully. It's a this is a wonderful film, and I'm the film again is uh, Nico, 1988. We've been speaking with the director and the writer of the film, and that would be Susanna Nicarelli, and also it is opening here in Los Angeles today. Susanna, thank you so much for being here on Film School. Thanks, thank you so much. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.